You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, Westside Church. It's a privilege to gather with you today um, with a few people in person. And also, for those of you who are joining us online, um, it's a uh, joy for me to get to just worship um, with some others. And I know that's a longing in our heart to gather and to be together. And we know we're trusting God and the timing and the, the leading and all of that. Um, one of the things I appreciate about just who God is in our midst and in our life as his people is that God is not limited. Um, he's not uh, limited by time or space. And so the very fact that we are gathering in these unique ways during this season, um, we can do so knowing that we're still one together, that the Holy Spirit has made us one together, um, that oneness is not lost, but it's that oneness that actually makes us long in our heart to be together. So the Holy Spirit has joined us together and the Holy Spirit is continually turning our hearts towards one another. And so we long to be together, um, whether in spirit or in, in person together. So um, however we're gathering, we gather as one family and one body today. And um, as part of a larger Foursquare family, it's my joy to get to be part of you. <clears throat> I have known your church for a long time, um, been here on a number of occasions, and uh, I love your pastors. Uh, I know it's normal to, for a guest speaker to get up and have to say nice things in response to the nice things that were said about them. But this is not quid pro quo here. I, I honestly, truly consider Steve and Suzanne um, just two of the finest people on the planet. And this is why, because they're just, they embody the word authentic, don't they? They're just, they, who, they are who they present themselves to be. That there's nothing incongruent between who they are inwardly and who we know them to be outwardly. They're one and the same. And they are just humble, um, godly shepherds. And they love Jesus with all of their hearts. They love the assignment that Jesus has given them to shepherd a flock in this community and be part of what he's doing in this place and around the world. And you can learn a lot about pastors when you're in conversation with them. And you can hear what just comes out of their mouth because it flows out of their heart. And they love you. And that's evident. And that's un you don't even have to provoke that. You don't even have to fish for it. It just flows out of their, their heart. They truly love Jesus and they, they love you. And that's, that's a gift. Um, that's, that's something special when you have those kind of leaders in this kind of community where there's that kind of shared life together. So I, uh, have started a new role and it's weird. It's kind of counterintuitive for me. I've been a pastor for over 30 years and, uh, to be in this assignment is, is one that was unexpected and, but one I embrace with my heart, uh, I get to more than anything, get to pastor pastors and get to work together with our larger global uh, and national Foursquare family. And we're part of 100,000 churches around the world, um, just serving on mission together, um, being who Jesus has called us to be. And that's a little what I want to talk about this morning for the next few minutes. I, I want to talk about that clear sense of understanding who God created us to be who he redeemed us to be in Jesus Christ in terms of knowing who we are in the inheritance we've received in Jesus to experience the fullness of who we are. 
And I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 25 to start. We're actually going to take three quick stops in Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 12 just to begin, primarily in Genesis 25 and finish in Genesis 32. But there's a theologian who made this statement once. He said that the God of the Bible is bent towards blessing. In other words, that it's God's inclination. It's God's nature to bless. If you read in Genesis chapter 1, when God created mankind, it says he created mankind in his image, male and female, he created them. And then these words are used, and he blessed them. Before we could do anything, um, before we ever sinned, before we could do anything of fruitful ministry or life or experience, God made us. And the very first thing God did when he made us was he blessed us. That there was something that was designated, something that was imparted. There was something that was given. That, that idea of blessing in the Old Testament is that you have this favor. There's this unique relationship to your maker. That who God designed and created you to be he also blesses you with all the resources you need to be that, to do what he's called you to do, to be who he's called you to be. That when God blesses us, he says, this is who you are. I made you. And this is what I've called you to do. This is who I've called you to be. And as we live our life in relationship to him, we realize that in all of its fullness. But we know the story. We know that Adam and Eve, the first humans that we see on record in scripture, they disobeyed. Sin comes into the story. Violence really becomes the norm. Wickedness increases. You see judgment against sin. And so in Genesis 3 to Genesis chapter 11, there's not a good record of human behavior. It's marked by sin and rebellion and disobedience. And so we have Cain killing his brother, Abel. We've got the judgment against mankind and the flood of Noah. We've got uh, Babel and mankind trying to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and elevate themselves above God. And so God scatters them. And chapter 11 ends with mankind under judgment. And then chapter 12 begins. And chapter 12 is really where I want us to pick up because in chapter 12, God initiates a relationship. He initiates a, a plan. He sets something in motion that he said in the garden that he would do to restore the blessing upon his people. Ultimately, the, the means and the provision of that blessing would be found in the person of Jesus Christ. But the road that would take us there is going to begin with this discussion that God is going to initiate a conversation with a man named Abram. We now know him as Abraham. And God says something to him right off the bat that sets in motion a plan, but it, it restores what he said to mankind at the beginning of their creation, that God's intention is to bless us. But against chapter 12, the backdrop that chapter 12 is against, it, the, the context is one of judgment, is one of lostness. We don't know who we are. We're scattered. We're trying to construct our own identity. We're trying to find meaning in our own accomplishments, in our own relationships, in our own achievements, in our own establishment of power and position. And 
And it's in the middle of that that God breaks in. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 3, listen to these words. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. Now listen to how many times the word bless is used. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That judgment isn't God's last word. Blessing is. So we come up all the way to chapter 11. It's an ugly record of human behavior. And God breaks in and restores his intention. I'm going to bless you. I've made you. I know you. And I have the means by which you can become fully you. That cannot happen outside a relationship with him. So God sets in motion. He establishes really what is the central focus of his covenant relationships with people is to bless humanity. So I, I need you to see that as the foundation for where we're going, that, that God's favor and God's power that's given to somebody or to a people or to a place to become all that they were created to be and accomplish all that they were designed and intended to do, that blessing serves then as a guide. It serves as a motivation to, to pursue a, a course of life within the context of that blessing. One theologian says that this is the great God promise. It drives the Genesis narrative. And so the tension then that we're going to come into is what happens when the patriarchs begin to feel that that blessing is at risk? That, that is this going to happen or not? God's made a promise. Abram, through you, there's going to come this generational succession of blessing. Through you, I'm going to bless the nations. Through you, the means by which the nations will be blessed is going to take place, ultimately leading to the Messiah. And so what do you do when you feel like, uh-oh, is this going to happen or not? God said this, this is my story. God promised this, this is my experience. Will this transpire? So you've got Abram wondering if it's going to happen at certain points. His son Isaac is wondering at certain points if it's going to happen. His son Jacob wonders at certain points if it's going to happen. And the real challenge is at those moments of vulnerability, will you trust God? That's really the, the issue here. When the promise seems under threat, what are you going to do? Are you going to take matters into your own hands? Or are you going to trust God? That's still the issue for us today. God's, before the world began, Ephesians 2 says, God thought of our lives carefully. The scripture says we're wonderfully and fearfully made. He's created good works for us to do. He's created us in his image. Through Jesus Christ, he restores us and redeems us and releases us into everything that God has designed for us. So what do we do when we feel like what God has said is in conflict with my actual experience? At that moment, will I take matters into my own hand? And will I begin to make this a human-engineered kind of faith and journey? Or will I trust God? That always is the crux of the matter. That's the hardest place for us to come to, to trust God or to take matters into our own hands. If you jump to Genesis 25, we get kind of a crazy beginning to the story of Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham. So the blessing was pronounced over Abram. It's passed to Isaac. 
And now we pick up the story of Isaac's son, Jacob. And this is kind of a, as I said, a crazy story as we begin to learn about Jacob. His mom and dad are Isaac and Rebecca. They have their own miracle story. They, they were married for 20 years. They didn't have any children. And that, that was a big deal in the ancient world. Um, so for 20 years, he prayed for his wife, for her to get pregnant. And finally, God moves. Um, and that's where the story picks up. Because imagine this, this is a miracle because God made a promise to your dad that a generation of blessing is going to come and now it's going to stop with you because you don't have a kid. So he, he's praying and he's trusting and, and now his wife gets pregnant. And this is the story in verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. Literally, in the Hebrew language, what this is really saying is that the babies were crushing her on the inside. So, so this pregnancy wasn't a joy. <laughs> I mean, inside there's this crushing going on within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? And she inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. Now listen to God's prophetic plan, God's prophetic purpose over the children. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. That, that's an inversion of how the normal order of things goes. Everything comes to the firstborn. That the blessing is passed to the first. And God's saying, in this scenario, the, I intend to pass the blessing to the second and not the first. So the struggle is going to be, will Jacob believe that? Will Jacob allow God to be God in that? But basically what God said to Rebecca is, you think this is tough now? You think what's going on inside of you now? You, you've not seen anything yet. Their whole lives is going to be a jostling. Their whole lives is going to be the struggle, this, this conflict with each other, but ultimately their struggle with God. So there's this tension going on inside of them and these two brothers. And in verse 24, it says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his old body was like a hairy garment. And he said, honey, we just had an orangutan. The a red... How would you like that to be the description of your baby? It's red and hairy. Um, so they named him Esau, which means red, hairy one. So really creative, thoughtful naming. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Now, the word Jacob, literally, it's a play off of the word Akava, the heel, um, the imagery is of Esau is, comes out of the womb and he is no sooner just sort of the last part of him coming out of the womb and here's this hand reaching up grabbing grasping at the heel of his brother so the name jacob which figuratively literally or just literally kind of means of the heel grasping at the heel came to mean literally a guy who is going to spend his whole life trying to supplant his will over somebody else a deceiver a conniver, a manipulator, a schemer, somebody who's like, I'm grasping at this. I'm, it's up to me. 
I'm going to make it happen. Names were significant in the Old Testament. Um, even in the New Testament, names seemed to affect somebody's destiny. It had everything to do with even exercising some kind of control over their future and their journey. Oftentimes, the names would express a hope or a promise. These two boys were named uniquely. One was named for how he looked, red and hairy, and the other was named for how he behaved, grasping, clutching. Isn't that true, the names that we get tagged with? This is what you look like. This is how you act. That's who you are. And we know when God looks at us, he sees so much more than that. He even said to Samuel, man looks at the outward. I don't measure people by the least reliable information we can have about somebody, which is just their outward appearance. I look beyond that. I see the heart. Esau, this is what you look like. This is who you are. I'm going to freeze frame you in this identity. Jacob, this is how you act. So you're frozen in this moment. This is, this is really who you are. But we're going to see them struggling against that their whole lives. Jacob, he's, he grows up and hears about this blessing. And this isn't just a blessing. This is the mother of all blessings. This is like the granddaddy of blessings and how it was going to be passed through the family and the miraculous birth of his own father. And, and this, this blessing had major stakes. The problem was Jacob felt like he lost the blessing to Esau from birth. So as a result, he comes out of the, out of the womb. He comes into the world angry, comes into the world frustrated that life isn't going to turn out how he thought it should. And he comes out of the womb kind of in the same way that so many people to today do today, like, who's going to bless me? What, what's my blessing? Who, who am I? And who's going to set my identity, my life, my relationships, my world's at peace, and that world at peace? That was Jacob's question. And so, like his life, our life is often a struggle, a lifetime of trying to answer the question, who's going to bless me? Who am I? We're so infatuated with the Enneagram today. It's almost like the Enneagram has become like an added book to the Bible or something now. It's so passionately explored. People are ancestry. People are interested in their ancestry. Who am I? Where did I come from? Two big questions we're still trying to ask, answer. Who am I? Where did I come from? And, and for Jacob, this begins in the womb. Little fetal Esau in the womb, kind of like, uh-oh, Esau's closer to the exit than me. Um, he's going to come out first. He's going to be the firstborn. That means he's going to get the birthright. That means he's going to get the blessing. He'll get the land. He'll get the money. He's going to be dad's favorite. I won't. He's number one. I'll be number two. And it's always going to be that way. And so he comes out grasping and fighting. And his whole life is going to be characterized by this one issue. I'm not Esau. I'm not Esau. He tries to be Esau. Later, his mom is going to work with him to steal the birthright, the blessing from the father at his deathbed. And his dad, old and blind, he's there and, and Jacob comes in, tricking his dad with hairy garments on him to try to be his brother. And his dad says, who are you? And this is literally what he says, I'm Esau. Can I just say this right now? God will ble not bless who you are not. He can only bless who he made you to be. Do you know what drives so much unhappiness in people's lives is constant comparison. And it's a, it's a, it's a empirical data and research shows that, that one of the number one causes of depression is a, living in a constant state of comparison. 
And it, the root of comparison is I'm not secure and content in who I am. And therefore, I have to tear you down or I, I'm driven by jealousy and envy towards you. I can't, I can't be secure in who God made me to be because it, the core of that is some kind of distrust that God wasn't fair, or God wasn't good in how he made me and he gave you more of an advantage than me. And therefore, I'm distrustful towards God and I'm mad at God, but I'm also unable to rejoice with you in all of your blessing. There's this constant kind of comparison. He's the strong one. He's the hunter. He's dad's favorite. And so he lives out his life believing that he's got something to prove. I got to use people now to define me. I, I don't know who I am, so I can't give my life to serve others because I'm still trying to construct this meaning. So he spends his whole life grasping, grabbing, reaching, scheming, trying to be somebody he's not. And we know that the surest way to fail is to try to change the unchangeable, trying to change you. Listen, can I just say this as a side note? The world doesn't need you to be a cheap imitation of somebody else. As disappointing as it may be, <laughs> be a genuine version of you. It's a much more freeing way to live life, but you cannot know who you are outside of your relationship to God. It's only in God that I have a secure sense of who God made me to be and the resources by which that can be realized. So if you jump to chapter 32, we get to the end of the story of Jacob's life. He's gone on this journey of deceiving his father, deceiving his father-in-law, betraying his brother, by his own hand, constructing this life and this wealth and these possessions. And he's about to lose it all because he's about to meet his brother Esau, whom he last fled from because he stole from him. And he doesn't know what's going to happen because his brother is the red hairy guy who hunts. And now word's coming that his brother's coming his way. Jacob's almost a hundred years old and God's going to show up with Jacob in the middle of the night, all alone, and it's not to just give him a hug. It's to pick a fight with Jacob. He shows up and he wrestles with Jacob. And he wounds Jacob in a way that breaks something in him that brings him to this realization that only God can be the source of blessing, favor, identity, purpose, and mission in his life. God was his problem and he had to get some things right there. But God was also going to be the solution. Listen to verse 22 of Genesis 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of Shabbat. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over his possessions, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The book of Hosea says that that was God wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. And Jacob replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he said, and the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. You struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Isn't getting alone with God something we struggle with? I was reading this week that on average, we check our phones on average 121 times a day, every six minutes. We surround ourselves with busyness and distraction and noise. And research has found that when we're alone and not distracted by some noise or activity, our minds naturally drift towards awareness of discontent, anger, a sense of inadequacy, anxiety about our future, um, chronic self-preoccupation. 
And so where do our minds go? We go to those moments of vulnerability. That's why we distract ourselves continually. And that's why we generally flee from solitude. But if we sit still long enough, be still and know, God just might show up and wrestle with you. <laughs> and this is what it says. It's like, literally, it's like Jacob's sitting there and God tackles him. It wasn't like, hey, big boy, you and me, you want some of this? Let's go. It's like, he's sitting there and all of a sudden this guy just out of nowhere just starts tackling him and they're wrestling all night long. Now this is God. Now I used to wrestle with my three boys. I'd walk in the door every night and they'd be waiting for me. And it would be before dinner time, wrestling in the living room, and they would be all over me. And my wife would go, dinner's ready. And the boys would say, we're beating dad, we're beating dad. And like, I'm on the floor going, oh, stop it, stop it, oh, oh. What they didn't know is I could have got up and thrown them all through the window at any minute. I restrained my power and I let them think they were wrestling me. It's like, oh, come on, ow, oh, boys, ah. This is God with Jacob. Oh, Jacob, you're so strong. Oh, ow, ow, Jacob. Just letting Jacob understand how strong his will was, how strong he was in his own self-trust and confidence. And there's this struggle this battle that's going on, and I think it's with Esau, but it's really with God, and God wants to get to the struggle beneath the struggle. Let's get there. We've got to resolve some things. Who's really in control of your life? Who's really in charge of your life? And if the answer is me, God's got a bone to pick with me. God's going to wrestle with me in that place. It's going to be a point of continual struggle. And this is when Jacob realized, when God finally said, I'll touch your hip, a little touch, and I'll show you that I'm different than you, Jacob. I'm stronger than you. Have you had enough of this? And Jacob in that moment realizes if he's going to walk in blessing, it has to come from God. So he grabs God and he says, bless me. And what did God say to him? What's your name? I'm Jacob. I'm the manipulator. I'm the guy who's constantly grasping, constantly struggling, constantly trying to manipulate circumstances and work people and control environments. And I'm the one trying to make it happen. He had to come to a full confession. This is who I am. And God says, that's not who you are. You're Israel. That's your real name. You, you've been labeled Jacob, but you're really Israel. You're a man who wrestles with God and with others, and you're overcoming. You're an overcoming. That, you're overcomer. That's who you are, Jacob. You're, you're not a manipulator. You're not a conniver. This is who I, I made you to be an overcomer. But until you settle some things in terms of security and who you are in me, you will never be who you were called to be. Jacob is who I am apart from God. Israel is who I am with God in me. And the blessing came when I come to God personally, face to face. Do you know in John 10, I just read this in my devotions yesterday, Jesus said, and he knows his sheep by name and he calls them by name. He doesn't call you according to the label that others have labeled you with. Do you know in Revelation 21 or chapter two, talking to the church at Pergamum, there's this weird little statement. It says, to those who overcome, I, I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known to only the one who receives it. 
So imagine this in heaven. Let's take this literally. That we're going to get to heaven and God's going to give us a little white stone. And on it's going to be a name. Out of all the things you could get in heaven, you're going to get a little white, white stone. Now think about that. Randy is a, a name going into extinction. Randy is a terminal name. Nobody names their kids Randy anymore. Thank you, Austin Powers. You ruined that name for everybody. Um, but I would imagine there's a lot of Randys that are going to be in heaven. Can you imagine having God saying, Randy, and about a million Randys turn around? What? I love you. We're all like, oh, thanks. Do you know what the most famous name in the world is? Maria. Mary. Most popular name of all time. There will be probably billions of Marys in heaven. Can you imagine God from the throne? Mary, you know, a million, whoop, billion. Yes, I love you, Maria. We love you too. But imagine now there's this name and only one person has that name. And he calls that name. Hey, Horkin, Forkin, Dorkin, you know. <laughs> I love you. He knows your name. He knows who you were created to be. He has all the resources, the inheritance. Isaiah 43 says, this is what the Lord says. He who has created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And you might say, oh, I don't have a blessing. Nobody spoke anything over my birth. There's no prophetic thing being passed down generationally in my family. Listen to Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. God has located the fullness of his inheritance, the riches of his grace. All of the blessing that he's blessed us with are in the person of Jesus. One of the things that was a joy for me to do as a pastor at our church was every couple of years we would take study groups to Israel. And uh, every tour in Israel ends the same way. It usually begins in the Sea of Galilee. It goes, usually spend 10 days and ends up above uh, the city, outside the city walls in the Garden of Gethsemane. Above the Garden of Gethsemane, it's called uh, the Mount of Olives. And you look down into the Kidron Valley, into the walls of Jerusalem with the iconic view of Jerusalem with the Dome of the Rock. And usually end the last day of every tour there. Um, you kind of go down to the Garden of Gethsemane, into Jerusalem, into the ways of the kind of the cross, the events of the crucifixion to usually you finish in a garden tomb and have communion together. So that morning we were, had our devotions and prayer time. We were looking out over the city and they had some free time for a few minutes and up there, all the tour buses are there. There's just literally hundreds and hundreds of people at every spot. You can buy things. People are hustling and selling things and it's very kind of a commercial place. So I'm standing off to the side and I look over here and there's this young man standing next to me and I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Wasim. He was a little Arab boy, Israeli Arab boy. And I said, I said, Wasim, how old are you? And he said, I'm 11. And tomorrow's my birthday, and I'm going to be 12. I said, no way. Wasim, I have a son named Thomas. And he's 11, and tomorrow's his birthday, and he's going to be 12. True story. I said, tonight I'm going to get on a plane, and because of the time change, I'll get to be home for his birthday. And Wasim smiled. And so I reached in my pocket, and I had this 50 shekel bill, which was worth at the time about four American dollars, four US dollars. And so I... I, I handed him, now he's selling bookmarkers, 10 bookmarks for one shekel. 
and I hand him 50 shekels. And I said, tomorrow on your birthday, would you go get a treat and have a little, have a little treat on me and just something special for your birthday? And he looked at me and he looked at the 50 shekels and he just took off running. And he went running up to where the buses were and he started to talk to this old, older man and the man looked at me and I went, uh-oh. Like, did I, you know, violate something cultural? Did I, you know, fall for the old, it's my birthday trick? Um, and they come marching over to me and I went, well, I hope I didn't do anything dumb. And the guy comes up and he says, did you give my son 50 shekels? And I said, I did. I did, sir. It's his birthday tomorrow and I just wanted to bless your son. And he said, uh, I said, I, my, my son's the same age, same birthday. I just wanted to bless your son. He said, hold out your hand. And I held out my hand and he put a little coin in it. And he said, do you know what that is? And I said, yeah, that's a widow's mite. And I'd been shopping in that trip because every trip I buy something to use for a study aid and teaching. And I wanted a widow's mite on that trip. And I'd been shopping him that afternoon. I was going to get one where I'd picked one out. And I could tell the grading of them. That was probably worth about $80, $90 that particular one. I said, that's a beautiful coin. So I went to hand it back and he wrapped my hand around it. He says, no, that's for you. And I said, oh, I can't take that. I gave your kid four bucks, you know, and you're giving me an $80 or $90 coin. And he held my hand and he said, no, you honored my son. You honored me. You bless my son. I bless you. And in that moment, I just heard the Lord say, Randy, if you honor my son, I'll honor you. See, the whole riches of God's grace are found in the person of Jesus. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. It's, it's in him that we find the essence of life. As I live in relationship to my maker through Jesus, the blessings of God flow to me. I know who I am as a son of God. I can know who he's called me to be and what he's called me to do and find joy in that, even if it's different than you. And I can bless you in your blessing. And I can rejoice with you when you rejoice. It doesn't have to be about comparison. I can walk in the blessing that God has called me because in Jesus, there's the resources, the power to live out the blessing. So I want you to pray with me if you would. And maybe you're listening online or Later, you're going to watch this at a, a different time, however, whenever. But maybe the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart. And maybe the invitation is to look to Jesus and to live. That you don't have to strive and grasp and connive and manipulate and control and to be fearful, worrying about if you're going to get yours, if life is going to be just and fair for you that you can trust God with that. You can trust God with the uniqueness of who he made you to be. You can trust God with the grace and the strength to be that. The journey will bring forth the transformation of all of that. And I just hear the Holy Spirit just wanting to speak words of rest and peace inwardly to people right now. Just peace, he knows your name. He knows who you are. Your life isn't in the hands of a, a business. Your life isn't in the hands of a politician. Your life isn't in the hands of a doctor. Your life isn't in the hands of an admissions counselor at a school. Your life isn't in the hands of a parent or a spouse. Your, your life is in his hands. And when you feel like things are under threat, the temptation is to take matters into our hands. 
but we entrust into his hands our future, our life, our calling, our meaning, our purpose. He'll be faithful. He will lead you. There'll be things you'll do like you've never done before. You'll work maybe with greater strength than you've ever worked before. It's not about passivity or idleness. It's about the source of your strength, the security of who you are, and that's found in Jesus. If you've never come to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that now. You can come to Jesus because Jesus has already come to you. We respond to his initiative. If you would open your heart and believe that Jesus died and rose again and say with your mouth, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. The Bible says we will enter into salvation. It's the blessing that God purposed in his conversation with Abraham was brought to full manifestation in the person of Jesus. And that's available to you and me today. Open your hearts. Receive Jesus as Lord. Let your lives be lived in submission to his lordship and he'll direct your steps. He'll lead your paths for his name's sake. Amen.